3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull in somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been right friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you about days like today. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me, at Jim Kramer. All right, look, we all know the headlines, right? Day the Dow plunged 809 points. s plummeted 2.81%. NASDAQ nosedived 3.95%. Well, let's just say there are tons of bad news. Like, you know, and tons of bad articles, like the one I'm reading right now. USA Today saying... See, market turmoil, fear spikes, stock stall, Wall Street searches for signs. This is the final washout. What are they talking about? The relentless selling has panicked investors running. The recap goes on to say the VIX up 23 percent. The market is starting to price in a lot of bad potential outcomes, such as a recession, some financial crisis. And then investors fear central banks can no longer dampen and backstop the market. Oil prices and a slowdown in China could be signs of a global recession could drag down the U.S. There's just one problem. This isn't today's paper. No. This is a paper from January 21st, 2016. It isn't this slowdown in China. It's that slowdown in China. It's not these high oil prices. It's those low oil prices, $26.55, worried about the industry collapse. And on the day, it wasn't down 565 points. It was down a little bit more because it was 16,000-point basis, not a 33,000-point basis. So while we should be thinking about the size, the number that the Dow dropped, what matters the most is the denominator. And while there are hints that we might be near the end of the panic in that story, the writer paints the picture clearly. It's still too early to say that the market has hit rock bottom. But there are signs panic selling is leading to a stampede out of the market that will eventually clear the way for recovery. End quote. Well, there it is. 2016, now. After today's disappointing Google numbers, the collapse of what was once Fang, the horrendous 20% decline in the NASDAQ for the year, I thought it might be good to offer not a bullish perspective. Not a bullish perspective. We don't need a bullish perspective. What we just need is another perspective of what's going on, not from today's paper, but from a paper not that long ago. Because what we keep getting are the same stories over and over again when we have these big sell-offs. Sure enough, back then, the market ultimately held its ground, actually tested that low one more time a month later. And then it went on to have a 10,000-point rally, pretty much in a straight line. Now, I never want to be sanguine about a sell-off, especially this one. The damage is severe, especially in the technology stocks. And there are real reasons for the fear. But just like 2016, where I read you the exact quotes, you have no idea whether we could have a snapback. We know this, there are three culprits behind our decline, the Fed, Russia, and China. Any one of them could put an end to this meltdown, just like what happened six years ago. One reason why we got slammed today is earnings. We had a bunch of big international companies that acquitted themselves well in a rough environment, yet the market wasn't buying it, too hard. Because we still haven't seen any signs that the Fed, Russia or China will change its course. It's funny. Back in 2016, China changed its course. Of course, they pumped up their economy. The Fed got a little bit less, less hawkish. I mean, this is what happens. We're setting it up just not fast enough for you and me. Now, if you're General Electric, which reported an intensely disliked quarter today, you need to see your supply chain get sorted out. China get better and end of the war in Ukraine. Tall orders. I could say the same thing of 3M. Raytheon might have joined them in the dumpster if they weren't a key arms supplier to Ukraine in a war that keeps intensifying. Yes, the bear case is palpable. The Fed isn't breaking inflation fast enough by just talking. It must act. It should act tomorrow. Can't wait for the next meeting. And it needs to shock the system with a 75 basis point triple rate hike, fully knowing that it won't cause mass unemployment. There are too many job openings as it is. What it would do is help bring down some of these metals and material costs that are teetering and need to be pushed over the edge. They can be pushed over the edge. I think it's better for the Fed to get it over with quickly rather than dragging things out like they are. If they hit the brakes in the economy, we'll need less stuff. And that will relieve many of the supply chain bottlenecks I keep hearing about on every conference call I'm on. How about Russia? Every time we think Putin might be willing to ease up, they talk about using nuclear weapons. It's, sadly, Dr. Strange of, like, farcical. A week ago, their feckless foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, knowing that the Russian army was in retreat from Kiev, assured us that nukes were off the table. Wow, oh, thank heavens. Today, with the Russian army about to advance in eastern Ukraine, nukes are apparently back on the table from this man to scare us away from sending the Ukrainians much-needed tanks and artillery. Well, I'm glad our leaders are finally calling their blood. Oh, China. I mean, how long can we be hostage to their economic weakness? 2016, it was all we talked about. It's all we talked about. China's beginning to remind me, frankly, in this, with the way that they're handling the epidemic, they're beginning to remind me of the Lincoln Tunnel scene in Stephen King's seminal work, The Stand, where soldiers on the Jersey side of the, ho- of the Lincoln Tunnel huddled in machine gun nests trying to stop fleeing New Yorkers infected with the novel Captain Tripp's virus. Of course, they fail. Unlike The Stand, we're north of 99% of the infected perish, the number of people who die in the hospital from Omicron after a triple cocktail of Pfizer or Moderna vaccines is remarkably small. Unfortunately, China refuses to use Western-made vaccines, even though they have much better efficacy than their homegrown ones. So the lockdown keeps spreading because it's the only way that they think they can contain the virus. Obviously, it can't. Memo to President for Life she. You can buy the Manor Edition of the stand for $18.89 on Amazon. It'll be there by Wednesday, May 11th, guaranteed. Too late, no doubt, for every city to come down with COVID in China, but act now, as there are only seven copies left. It's a fast read. Now, we don't know what will put an end to the panic. There are lots of people huddled in a few expensive safety stocks. That was a talk of the day with solid dividends. Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, can't blame them, numbers were great. Uh, others, including my charitable trust, have been buying the oils. Because some have 7 to 8% dividend yields as long as the price of crude stays anywhere near these levels, which I think it will bounce again today. Still others are hunting for companies with pricing power, the ones that can put through price increases without losing customers. We happen to have Chipotle tonight. They can do it. A few intrepid souls are buying tons of stocks that haven't been this cheap since 2000, 2008, or the COVID crash of 2020. The tripartite test of ugliness that's been good grounding for a a bottom before, because these three moments were far more terrifying for the stock market than anything that's happening now. All three groups are not making money. However, here is how I look at it. At the moment, we have three uh, three tractable, not intractable, but three tractable problems. If one of them gets solved, we might find a bottom worth testing a month from now, like we did in 2016. If two gets solved, we're going to get a massive rally. And of course, we're in the heart of earnings season, so there are other potential positives. Now, while Alphabet, the parent of Google and YouTube, reported an imperfect quarter after the close, thanks to weaker than expected YouTube advertising revenue, I think the after-hour sell-off will become to look like an overreaction. Same time, Microsoft reported an excellent quarter, in my view, and nobody wants that now because it's part of FANG. And FANG, what is that? Well, FANG is four letters that might as well be one giant scarlet letter. It's untouchable. One thing is for certain. People hate some stocks down 50% from where they love them, something that happens every time we get hit with a huge sell-off, even the semiconductors and software names have been bludgeoned, well, I thought beyond all recognition, but I still give them another whack. Yet, I just need to remind you of one thing. Now, if you go take a look at the chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average over the next seven years after that, that USA Today paper that I read you from— Next seven years. Look at this. You'll see that the early 2016 meltdown that was so bad, that was worse on a percentage basis, that scared everybody out, that got people from thinking that you got to get out because it's a bear market. Well, guess what? It's barely noticeable. If you're like me, you probably don't even remember how that darn sell-off even happened, let alone how it ended. Here's the bottom line. We've got three big worries in this market, but we've been worrying about them for weeks or months at this point. And I think we need to start preparing ourselves for the possibility that something may actually go right. That's been the usual trajectory of these horrifying sell-offs. I don't know why this one will be any different. Mike in Connecticut. Mike. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Good to have some uh, spirited booyah.
1: I got, I got a question for you. With the only U.S. flag cruise ship getting back into service, NCL's proud of America, is
3: NCL a buyer sell? Okay, well look, I happen to believe that these that these stocks are buys because we're traveling again. We're hearing this over and over and over again. The problem is we got a lousy market. And in a lousy market, people want to sell anything that's got a lot of debt. And Norwegian Cruise Lines has got a lot of debt. So just understand, take it with a grain of salt. When you have stocks like Alphabet that are down two hundred points, people are not looking to be able to get into the market. They're looking to flee the market. Now maybe they should be looking to get in, but they want to flee. We continue to be worried about the Fed, Russia, and China. But I think it may be time to start preparing ourselves for the possibility that something may actually go right, although it sure doesn't seem like it. Oh well, Man Money tonight, fresh off its investor day. Could Callaway Golf be in a hole-in-one for investors? I'm checking in with the company's top brass. Then after another tough day for the average, is there an end in sight for the pain? I'm going off the charts to find out. And Chipotle report after the bell. I'm running through the report with the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
0: now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
3: a few weeks ago as the master tournament got rolling we dusted off our work on the golf industry recommended a couple of favorites at Cushnet and callaway golf at the time, I said I preferred the former because Callaway's become less of a pure play on golf equipment. They also got a bunch of adjacent businesses like Topgolf, the high-tech driving range entertainment concept, which they acquired last year an all-stock deal that massively increased the company's share count. More shares mean, of course, fewer earnings per share, called dilution. But today, Callaway held an investor day event where it announced better than expected first quarter sales results while also providing some very encouraging long term forecasts. On any other day, I think the stock might have been able to go up maybe 3, 4, 5%. It was that good. But unfortunately, this is a hideous moment. So instead, Callaway rolled over, down seven point five percent today. I don't think it represents what was said. Could the stock be worth buying into weakness? Let's take a closer look with Chip Brewer. He's the president of Callaway Golf. I've always wanted to have him on the show. To hear more about the vision he presented to investors, Mr. Brewer. Welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be with you today. I'll tell you, Chip. Until I read through your deck, uh, until I studied your company, I had felt that it was a company that was raw. raw largely involved golf but then we did the deep dive apparel top golf uh of course golf itself but everything in your uh, i've got to tell you i think the top golf and i quiz a lot of people is one of the most exciting concepts in the world so i'm trying to figure out why your company is only a four billion dollar company with all those things going for
5: <laughs> well jim i think you might be on to something there uh Uh, We we couldn't be more excited. I'm joining you today from our newest venue out here in El Segundo. So uh, I think your old stomping grounds are very close to it when you lived in L.A. many years ago. True. And uh, uh, the Topgolf asset is is beyond exciting. And the total combination that we're putting together now is becoming is the leader in what I call modern golf, which is a a very high growth and exciting uh, emerging sector.
3: Now, when I look at non top golf, high single digits, Callaway Golf, 10 to 12 percent, golf, 18 percent for revenue. I'm trying to figure out, is it because maybe there aren't enough of them? Now, you've got a roadmap coming to market near you, but I was talking about my wife. She's a golfer. And she said, you know what? We ought to go there. It's in Holtzville. I mean, Holtzville. I mean, there are people in Long Island who want more than anything else in the world to play your game. You don't have enough of them, sir.
5: It's an excellent point, Jim. We need more, and we're going to be building 11 per year. Uh, By the end of the year, we're going to have 81 owned and operated venues. You know, this has really moved from a regional player to a national player, and the venues do well every place we put them. North, south, east, west, heartland, coasts. So we're really scaling up. And you've seen the results start to drive with that, too. I mean, just last year in Q3, we had higher EBITDA, from Top Golf than they had in their whole record year. So one quarter did better than their record year uh, prior to that. And we're scaling it and growing it from there. But uh, the world needs more of them, and they're opening really well.
3: Well, i want to drill down on that because today we had a couple of reports that said that video games inside aren't doing that well. Well, video games means you eat chips, you have beer, you play games. I look at what you guys do at Topgolf. You've got a great food. You, know, you really have a great food concession. And for people who don't know it, tell them a, bit, a little more about the experience.
5: Well, the experience is like unlike anything else. So it's for golfers, but it's not – only golfers I mean more than half the people that come here don't say they're not traditional golfers and so it really is society at large It's the total addressable market is the entire uh, universe of, uh, of consumers it fits the uh, experience culture dead nuts on right now in terms of what it offers and uh you really just see that they people love that experience they go out and they hit an, on a digital driving range essentially with music with uh good food with beverages they're having a great time with their friends but it's it's inviting it's easy it's it's the greatest thing that happened to golf since tiger woods and uh uh it's not only transforming the game because off course golf is the same size as on course now, but growing so much faster, uh, it's going to be a major driving force for the entire ecosystem going forward.
6: And, yeah, uh, it, I just think uh, people need I to know it's Your, your wife's on something.
3: Let's talk about Jack Wolfskin. Last week, there was a really interesting presentation by Lululemon. And what do they want to move into? Exactly where Jack Wolfskin is. We know that there are lots of companies uh, like Columbia that want to Patagonia. There are a lot of companies in a crowded area. How can you distinguish this incredibly good brand, German, over 40 years, so that people understand that this is the premium one in the category? Well,
5: it's tough in the U.S., Jim, because people haven't heard of Jack Wolfskin here, but we showed some data today that shows, you know, it's got the number two net promoter score in Central Europe. So the consumer basically says they love that brand more than any of the others you just mentioned. Uh, it has the number one most desired jacket. It's the number one or two most sustainably oriented brand in those markets. So. Just because the U.S. doesn't recognize it doesn't mean that it isn't, you know, a, a great brand with wonderful potential. This brand is the leader in Central Europe and a strong player in China. So two key markets and, you know, really starting to deliver momentum and growth and sell through. Uh, you know, the U.S. is just upside for us going forward. but. Uh, Strong brand, strong fundamentals, it fits well within our uh, overall apparel portfolio, which is now, you know, we provided information today will be a billion dollars this year.
3: Well, I, I guess I'm struck because, like, I keep thinking if you were not called Callaway Golf, would people know that you're bigger than this? Because so many people who got started in trading stocks just say, oh, is the master's going to be watched? I'll buy Callaway. Well, that is just a false construct yeah. entirely, sir. You are levered to so much more than that. Do you think the investor day got the word out to get started about who you really are?
5: I think it's starting to, but I think you do have it. You've got a great point. Uh They just think of us as what we were, and we have completely transformed the brand. We are still the old Callaway. We are the leader in golf equipment on a global basis. A great business. It's obviously had tailwinds, and we will never give up on that. It's our roots, right? Right. Uh, But we're so much more than that now. We're the leader in modern golf, which is so much bigger, so much higher growth rates. But people don't. You know, particularly in this market where there's this risk aversion and uncertainty, I, I just don't think they've fully internalized it yet. And we're going to have to prove it every day. We're ready to do it.
3: I think you've got to because it's such a good story. I was quite surprised when we first looked at it, the Masters and then the investor conference. The deck was really extraordinary. I'm really glad you came on, Chip. This is a terrific story. And it's not a lot of risk at this point. It's come down a lot. Chip Brewer, presidency of Callaway Golf. Thank you, sir, for coming on Mad Money. Thank you so much, Jim. All right, so, guys, we're, we're looking at this tech implosion, right? And I understand. You think, well, wait a second. Is there anything that I can buy that is gaming that's not going to give it up because gaming seems to be the talk of the night? Well, I want you to look at this company, Callaway Golf. Uh, there was much more to it than I thought. And it might be the same case with you. That money's back after the
1: break. Coming up, what are the indices indicating? Kramer goes off the charts to get you one step ahead of the game. Next.
2: You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card.
3: After yet another terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, it is worth pondering why this market keeps melting down. I know there are a ton of reasons to be bearish here, including earnings from Alphabet tonight that didn't meet expectations. The earnings' disappointments have been coming with some regularity. The Fed slamming the brakes on the economy. At this point, maybe that's old news. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused energy and food prices to skyrocket while terrifying the rest of Europe. Well, Wall Street's had two months to adjust. China's never-ending lockdowns. And the way it is on Wall Street, that's now same old, same old. In other words, we've had plenty of time to digest all of those negatives that keep dragging us down. They seem to reprice every day. So when will this market find a bottom? To answer that question, I want to get out of the emotional game and into the mathematical game, or at least some game that doesn't require people being fearful take a more quantitative approach. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. And she's a brilliant technician I've known forever. She's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, author of High Probability Commodity Trading. I love high probabilities. Garner points out that the S&P 500's correction is still well within what you'd expect from the historical average. Meanwhile, we've entered the heart of earnings season. She says declining markets often find support from quarterly earnings, especially when the seasonal trends are on your side, which they're supposed to be right now. Now, we haven't had that support yet, but we know there's still plenty of earnings ahead. I want you to throw in the fact that commodity prices have moderated while we've seen some signs of stability in the bond market. And Garner thinks you shouldn't let today's monster sell-off freak you out, although I know it did to many. See, she's not predicting blue skies from now on, but she at least believes this market's headed for a holding pattern where we could see some surprising strength. That said, don't don't get your hopes up, please. Even if we go back in reality, mode, Garner's adamant that you can't expect the kind of upside so many people got used to in 2020 and 2021. You're going to see why from these pictographs. So let's start with the daily chart of, of all things, the volatility index, or the VIX for short, going back to 2020. Now, we often call this the fear gauge. You know I focus on it a lot. But what the VIX directly measures is how urgently traders are buying put options. uh, On the SP 500 to hedge their positions. In other words, things go down, they don't get hurt that bad. If you think of put options as insurance against stocks going down, the VIX reflects the cost of those insurance policies. How's that? When it goes up, it means traders are terrified. When it goes down, it means the fear is on the wane. Because the VIX and the SP 500 tend to move in opposite directions, as you can expect, a peak in the volatility index is good news for the stock market. And Garner sees signs of potential peak here. Specifically, the VIX, I thought this was fascinating. The VIX is making what looks like a head and shoulders formation. Okay. That's a very reliable pattern, not a bottle of shampoo, uh, that usually leads to this, okay, while the vix is currently over thirty as long as it doesn 't break thirty five and start again completing the heads and shoulders pattern, Garner sees it heading much lower, uh, perhaps back to the teens again, that would be usually bullish for the market because when the vix goes down, the s and p almost always goes up. I was very surprised that the vix didn 't spike here. I would have expected that it didn 't happen, I therefore I think that garner 's onto something to think that we might have seen some sort of short term End to the decline, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Look at the biggest black hole in the market, the NASDAQ 100. Now, this is tech heavy index. We heard a lot of people blasting FANG today. You know, I'm not a supporter of FANG anymore. And we've had to cut back some of these positions for a travel trust. There's just too many other great situations, and FANG is too overexposed. But this contains the 100 largest non financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite. Now, this is, by the way, the worst start for these stocks since 2008. That's very important. Uh, It's nasty. Outputs certainly surprised. Elon Musk bid for Twitter and part financed by margining Tesla stock doesn't help. Remember, when they margin the stock, basically the broker takes it and the stock goes down. Well, you know, they'll sell it in the open market. All right, check out the monthly chart. Garner says this picture is a nice reminder of where we are. And I think it's, you know, I think this was a a disconcerting chart. While the Nasdaq 100 has pulled back hard over the last five months, right? The current correction is still minimal compared to the monster 20-month-long rally from the lows in March. So now you got to be looking at this, okay? See, this down versus this up, well, you get the picture. Remember, tech is unwinding now. If you an incredibly explosive move, that's what these moves are about. That was the Netflix and Fang. That was the Google tonight, although I don't think it's as bad as people think. Let's put it this way. From the bottom in 2009 to the peak in 2020, okay, so that's 11 years, the NASDAQ 100 rallied seven. 1, points. Okay? It's no speedo- you, know, you don't have to worry about speedometer. There's no radar gun. That's just a nice pace. By contrast, the COVID rally covered 10,000 points in less than two years. If the industry is stuck to its old uptrend, where would it be? Garner points out that it would probably be around 8,000 points higher, not 13,000. It went up too far too fast. Well, she doesn't expect to see a sell-off of that magnitude. She can't completely rule it out either. Even if the NASDAQ 100 only makes a 50% retracement of the COVID rally, that would take it down to 11,750. 11, so we still have some downside. Uh, more than 1,000 points from where it's currently traded, although not a disaster. However, when you zoom in on the daily chart of the NASDAQ 100, Gardner says this picture, I think, is a little bit more calming. This thing's got a trend line going back to the lows of March 21. OK, so here we go. Uh, just under 13,175, but unfortunately it broke down below the trend line just today to garner that We are now, to, because of this, we are now at a make or break moment. If it can't find, if it can find its footing above 13,175, then she wouldn't be surprised to see a meaningful change, trend change. That could take the NASDAQ 100 back to its highs from earlier this month or in the lows, 1,500. Boy, that would be a nice break if you were a bull. However, if it stays stuck below this key support line and here again, this is where we are. Well, the next floor is 1250 uh 12500 And if, if we do get the kind of pullback, though, she thinks it would be an attractive opportunity. She's not cutting and running, in other words. Uh, remember, we're already down 20% for the year. Uh, so... I think that what she's basically saying is it's a little muted. We've we've given up a lot, okay? That other chart was, you know, boom, boom. But when you look at this daily, it does seem like it's a lot more like that and not as frightening. Now, how about the broader stock market? Take a gander at the daily chart of the S&P 500. According to Garner, Monday's daily price bar was a textbook key reversal pattern. Market opened sharply lower, only closed higher. But you saw that the problem, these reversal patterns, today, we've had four of these. These were typically... In my experience, reversal, reversal patterns that led to a great next day. Well, today wasn't a great next day. We've had four of them since the correction got rolling, and they only result in follow-through buying about 50% of the time. In other words, it's a coin toss whether or not this reversal pattern from the other day will mean anything. And right now, I have to tell you that the coin toss says, uh, well, you lost if you." Uh, it's like you called heads and it came out tails. Even when the S&P bottomed on March 14th, the rally didn't have much staying power. We ran from 4,100 to more than 4,600 over the course of two weeks. Then the S&P immediately started rolling over again. So as Garner sees it, the S&P 500 may be stuck in a holding pattern. We've got major floor support holding up at 4,200 and 4,000. OK, right here, uh, though we note that we, we fell below that first level today. This is a very powerful bad day today. At the same time, we've got uh, a ceiling of resistance at forty four five five zero and 4,700. She suspects we'll bounce between these levels. After we broke through the first floor of support today, Garner wouldn't be surprised to see the s sinking to 4,000. That would be tomorrow's business. At that point, she wouldn't get more bullish. Again, I like a technician who doesn't cut and run when the thing drops. Uh, But because Garner views this as range bound she says you need to get cautious uh, near the high end of the range. And that would mean if it came back to 4,700, maybe a sell. Again, we're no longer in the post-COVID crash bull market where the averages could rally endlessly. That's over. Here's the bottom line. Like in January, the charges interpreted by Carly Garner suggested that the near-term pain might soon be over but you can't expect us to go back into a turbocharge rally mode. Instead, she expects a long period of sideways consolidation as we work off the froth created in 2020 to 2021. I think she makes a pretty compelling case. Now, we put a uh, little more than 1% of our sideline cash into the market today for the charitable trust. You can read our bones in case we get that reversal. We didn't want to put more than that because it was so ugly, but sometimes ugly means buy. Maybe that's tomorrow's case, but we respect the downside for certain. Alan in Novato, please. Say, Alan. Hi, Jim. Great show. First time caller. Oh, thank you. What's going on? I wanted to talk to you about Fortinet. Um, it appears to be losing money per the, its EPS, um, but I also looked at its main competition as well, and they also seem to have great,
6: uh, their, their negative EPS as well. So I just want to get your thoughts.
3: Well, Fortinet's part of a cohort including Palo Alto Networks and CrowdStrike that are the last remaining high, high multiple stocks. That have been able to hold up in this environment. Uh, Any one of those three, I think, is fine. But please recognize the high multiple stocks, frankly, have become uh, persona non grata in most people's pay- in most people's portfolios. And I'm not going to deny that it's true. Okay, it's just true. ALL RIGHT, Tonight's chart has suggested near-term pain might soon be over. Sure didn't feel like that way going to close, did it? But we won't be going back into turbocharged rally mode. That may be history. Uh, look, I, I don't mind that because individual stock pickers would do better. Much more money, including my exclusive earnings uh, earnings was with Chipotle, by the way. They guided up. It was really beautiful. Could this quarter give investors something worth nibbling on? You're going to want to watch this and talk to you. When I talk to the CEO, Brian Nichols pretty convincing. Then there's an exciting runway ahead for Twitter with Elon Musk at the helm. And I'm using an example from my past to help make sense of what he can do with the opportunity. And, of course, all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What happens when a beaten-down growth stock reports a phenomenal quarter? Chipotle stock has plummeted from 1,958 last fall down to the 1,400s today as part of the rebellion against high-flying momentum plays. And it's been particularly hammered over the last week. But when Chipotle reported after the bell today, wow, the results beat Wall Street's expectations on nearly every major line item: revenue, earnings, same-store sales, you name it. More important, Magic gave you a very bullish forecast for the current quarter, too. Now, okay, this wasn't perfect. Chipotle's restaurant-level operating margin came in a touch light, thanks to higher food and labor costs, which were only partially offset by price increases. And sometimes I would think, I get so used to spectacular blowouts by the company, uh, and this one was just a very good quarter, although the stock has pulled back ahead, ahead of it. I was impressed. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Brian Nichols, the chairman and CEO of Chipotle. Learn more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Hill, welcome back to Mad Money.
6: Yeah, Jim, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah,
3: Brian, I've got to tell you, I am uh, in, in your company's in a vacuum. You had great top line growth. You had great same store sales growth. You had really good margins. How come you're able to do well, like it's a kind of a normal time when it's anything but a normal time?
6: You know, well, we're very fortunate to have, I think, just some of the best leaders in our company with a just tremendous brand. And, uh, you know, I think we've just built a lot of momentum in the business and we're managing to navigate, which has been pretty tricky headwinds uh, for the last two years, frankly.
3: Well, let's talk about a typical headwind that I deal with every day from managers staffing. They can't find people that does not seem to be your problem.
6: You know, uh, this speaks, I think, to the company's purpose of cultivating a better world. And then it also speaks to our growth uh, and commitment to development. We just had our all-manager conference where we brought together 3,200 restaurant general managers and field leaders, got together for the first time in like four years. And I'll tell you what, we celebrated so much growth, um, people getting promoted, people running new restaurants. Uh, and I think that really attracts people to Chipotle. And then I think they're also attracted to the purpose that our company has, which is around food with integrity and cultivating a better world. And our staffing is actually at levels pre-pandemic. And frankly, our turnover uh, is probably the best it's been in, I don't know, a couple of years, well, uh, especially this, at the management
3: level. Well, this is rather extraordinary. I know some of it is because you do some terrific th- thing in terms of qualifying education, 100 different disciplines at 10 universities, 5,250 per year tuition. But there are other companies in your industry that are struggling with unions. Uh, I know that if you're management, unions are historically not the greatest thing to deal with. I've been on both sides. But I have to admit, when I read through this, it seems like that you have some sort of secret sauce that makes it so, I don't know. I mean, people want to work there, and they're not trying to unionize, they're just trying to work at Chipotle. So it's got to be management, but it also has to be ethos, correct?
6: Yeah, that's what I was about to say, Jim. Our culture, our values, our purpose, I think is what really resonates with our people I know that to be the case. You know, like I said, when I was just at our all manager conference and just last week, I had the opportunity to be in a couple of restaurants. Our folks are so committed and passionate to the idea of growing Chipotle because they know, you know, if we grow our business, we do good in their community. We do really good things for our people. And you, you know, you just mentioned all the great benefits that we provide. Um, You know, I think that really sets us apart and, You know, we're going to stay committed and we're going to stay hard on the idea of investing in our people, investing in our culture and investing in our purpose. And that matters a lot.
3: I think that even to the level of what you do digital, it shows that that's the case. For instance, when I hear you doing digital, it's to try to digitize something that not a lot of people want to do. Talk to me about Chippy.
6: Yeah. So, uh, you know, funny, funny you mentioned this. Uh, One of the things that actually got a standing ovation from all our managers was this idea that we're going to try and find ways to automate the jobs in the restaurant, that frankly are just really hard to do. Uh, It makes the job more difficult. And, you know, it's one of those things if we could automate, make it easier, I think we would get even greater job satisfaction, more retention, more excitement about the work. And one of those examples is frying chips. You know, we fresh fry chips every day in our restaurant, the tortilla chips. And, you know, we were able to partner with Miso Robotics. We created a robotic arm and it literally fries the chips, it's salt, it limes. Um, and if you had our chips, you would know they're pretty special. Luckily, this robot has the ability to recreate that. So we're in the early days, but we're looking for additional ways to do this. You know, how do we eliminate dishwashing? How do we cut and core avocados? Our guys love mashing the avocados into guacamole. So we're not looking to replace that. Uh, we're looking to figure out how we can cut and core. So we're trying to find the things that at the end of the day, the employee would say, you know, you made my job better. And then also for our customer, we, we don't want to you know, take any compromise on the culinary or the deliciousness of the experience. So that's the balance we're we're, we're managing right now. Speaking
3: of balance, what do we want? I see the new ones have Chipotle lanes, which I love. The new ones are open, obviously. Now, we had the delivery today. We, we were delivering because at the office. What's the right ratio? Well, you know, look,
6: what we know is uh, there is a delivery occasion that customers want, you know, and we want to be available for it it's gonna be priced for it so that the economics make sense for the third party and it makes sense for our company. At the same token, we're working really hard to make these digital orders, you know, as seamless, as easy as possible. Uh, And that's where the Chipotle comes in. When you order digitally, select your time to pick it up, you know, you don't even have to get out of your car. You just zip up to the window, you'd say, Jim Cramer's here for, you know, my bowl and you're out of there in less than, you know, two minutes. And what we're finding is people, value that value proposition. And, you know, it's very attractive to people. And in some cases, it's a better proposition than delivery because you control the experience more than the delivery experience. But, look, we want to be available for all the occasions. We're just doing everything we can to make the digital occasion as frictionless as possible, as easy as possible. And then, obviously, we won't compromise on the culinary.
3: Well, I think all of us who are customers know that. One last question. The other day, we have terrific people who were sending me all sorts of numbers. Rice all-time high, beans high, avocados are insane. Chipotle is a huge consumer of these. What can you do to offset them without raising prices too much and recognizing that someone might say, you know what, I'm, that's out of my price range?
6: Yeah, look, we, we have a full court press on driving any inefficiencies out of the system. Uh, I have to hand it to our supply chain team and our, and our partners uh, that supply us. Um, you know, Fortunately, we don't buy a lot of conventional items because we have Mm -hmm. a very different food ethos and food principles. So that helps us in some of the inflationary environment, but we're doing everything we can to avoid having to pass on pricing. Um, But it, it, you know, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, Here's an interesting fact, Jim, just in the last 18 months, um, you know, if you look at what our food costs have been over the last 10 years, they're up like 10 points, 50% of that increase has happened in the last 18 months. So it's, it's uh, it's 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 real and it's something we got to deal with. Um, but you know, the last lever we want to pull is pricing. So we're doing everything we can in organization to squeeze out any inefficiencies. Well, I've
3: got to ask you, Polosada. New one? I mean, every time you come up with a new one, we we go crazy. Uh, how's the how's the reception on this one?
6: Uh, it's it. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say it's our best because it seems like every time <laughs> I say, "Well, this was one of our best," we, we beat it. But uh, this Polosada has really rung the bell with. Our consumers. And, you know, one of the things that I always guide my thinking on this is do our team members love it? And you know what? They love making it. They love eating it and they love serving it. So it's uh, it's performed really well for us.
3: Well, congratulations. Let's not worry about the stock because this is a terrible market. Let's put it aside if you haven't bought it yet because this market doesn't like things. But you did a great job, Brian. (laughs) This is the way I want Chipotle to perform. And you exceeded once again. Brian Nickel, chairman, CEO of Chipotle. Great work. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Guys, you know, look, 570 versus 564, you might think, well, hold it, what's that? Can you think about whether you like the food? Is it a great experience? Because I can tell you from my end, the numbers are right on target. Money, Mad Money's packed everywhere Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house, he's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. So, right, and then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, ski daddy? Come to the lighting round. the over with Al in Pennsylvania. Al!
6: Hey, F O R. Buy weight or avoid?
3: And about side wait, or voice? Which stock? Floor? No. Uh, under no circumstances, we want to buy floor. That business is way too hard. You cannot buy a stock of a construction company in this environment. Let's go to Nick in New Jersey. Nick! Booyah, Jim. Nick from Jersey City. How are you? Uh, long day, Nick. I'm doing okay. How about you? Excellent. Glad to hear it. I am dying to sink my teeth into a high-dividend-paying pipeline company. Is Plains All-American the right one? Yes or no? Well, I'll tell you, I'd rather do Enterprise Product Partners or One Oak, but but I have to admit, Plains is making a comeback. 8% is good enough for me. Tim in Illinois. Tim. Yes. Uh, Rig TransOcean Limited. Uh, at four bucks, you know, look, they can only. Stock stop at zero. They can be okay. Offshore drilling, according to Slumber's A, starting to make a comeback. Let's go to Anthony in Pennsylvania. Anthony! Booyah, Mr. Kramer! Booyah! Uh, Mr. Kramer, my question is, Hillary. No, I like Erwin Simon. I know he's doing a very good job, but the problem is until there's internet, until we get federal legislation, period, these stocks are impossible to own. David in Illinois. David. Hey, how are you, Jim? I am good, David. Uh, how are you? Long time,
6: long time, second time. I'll be quick. Uh, deep your thoughts. Buy, hold, or sell on Ally Financial. Thank
3: People you. are so worried about a recession. you buy Ally, you're going to be able to be, you're going to be too down market. I prefer you order one of the, own one of the majors. How about Jeff in Florida? Jeff?
6: Hey, booyah, Doctor Crane. Booyah. From snowy Fort Myers. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Hey. Anyway, I've been uh, missing something here with the Veru. The market cap's only about a billion dollars. I think the news they came out with uh, recently is worth a lot more than that. What do you think?
3: Well, Veru, I I know the company well. Uh, Doctor Steiner's been on the show. Uh, That drug that they have is in phase two. It does show some very good results, but we need to see a little bit more. But right now, I understand how you feel. It could be a very big drug. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, extra, extra tweet all about it. Twitter's future now rests on the moxie of Musk. Kramer on why that's not such a bad thing. Next.
3: Jim Kramer, you're one of my heroes.
0: Alex Ford,
2: your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me.
5: When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on.
3: Oh, I love
6: it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned.
3: tell you a story that can illustrate what Elon Musk might be able to pull off with Twitter, something that matters because he borrowed against a ton of Tesla shares. To get this deal done. Now everybody's worried those shares might end up getting sold. Now, 25 years ago, I'd started the Street.com with both a free ad-supported site and a subscription site. It was a radical idea to do both back then, and I promoted it everywhere, especially America Online. Yep, AOL was in its glorious heyday. This was when it was practically synonymous with internet access. We supplied AOL with a news feed that brought us a ton of eyeballs, which we converted to subscriptions at a pretty remarkable rate. Plus, they also paid us $2 million for producing the content. I'd made the deal with Bob Pittman, who was running AOL at the time. I just liked the guy. He wanted me to win. Then one day Pittman came to see me with his really thick deck, which he said would cement the street as the premier entity for business news. The deck just got better and better, more flattering, more flattering, more partnery, more more Join it to hip, I was lopping this stuff up. And then we came to the last pitch. In return for all that AOL would do for the street, they wanted us to pay them $2 million. I said, hold on. I said, right now, AOL pays me $2 million. Now we're supposed to pay you $2 million for the same thing? He came back and said, hey, circumstances have changed. This is the cause of doing business with the new AOL. I thought about it for all two seconds. I knew there was no other game in town. I knew if he cut me off that day and my contract was up and it was done for. So we shook hands and I paid I think Elon Musk can have a Pittman Revelation-like moment with Twitter. First, there are so many great ideas that the company's working on for direct response ads that he can simply pick the lying fruit. Second, more important, there are tons of huge businesses built on Twitter, like my franchise was built on AOL back in the 90s. So Musk can say, OK, free ride's over. And who the heck is going to say no? They need Twitter more than Twitter needs them. Twitter doesn't really understand that. I've tried to drill it in their heads. They don't get it. Third, Twitter can get more targeted with its advertising. They can become zip code friendly, allowing companies to place ads for just a microclimate. Fourth, they can go freemium, keep the current free Twitter, but also offer a higher quality paid subscription vision. Maybe no anonymity. Keep the trolling to a minimum. Fifth, Twitter's security for direct messaging is so strong that Musk can plug your Twitter, your Tesla into it. Tesla right into Twitter. More importantly, they can use it for banking or shopping. I think that t- uh, Twitter knew that and just didn't know how to monetize it. The problem so many people have with this acquisition is they look at Twitter's mediocre growth path and they don't know what the site could become. But there are so many ways to monetize this business without ruining the user experience. If Musk just makes the people who've made their career on Twitter pay per month, pay per tweet, per subscription, well, you'd have a darn good business model better than Twitter realized. It's obvious that this market's skeptical. Tesla's stock plunged 12% today because uh, people can't handle the prospect of Musk having to sell his stock to pay off a margin call if Twitter's a loser. But you know what? A lot of people didn't believe you could make money with Tesla either. Well, and look how that turned out i like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com, or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.